When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. From Decrypt Media, this is the Decrypt Daily, and my name is Matthew Aaron. Today on the show, special show, editor-in-chief of Decrypt, Daniel Roberts, interviews Mark Cuban. And Mark talks about Elon Musk, Doge, Tesla. He talks about Ethereum, Rollups, Sharding, F2.0. He talks about NFTs. And of course, he talks about the Dallas Mavericks. That's coming up today on the Decrypt Daily. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the show. Today is Tuesday, March 2nd, 2021. And the time is 11.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We're not going to go into much of an intro today, and we're not going to have other news because I want to give you this interview with Mark Cuban in its entirety, and he's interviewed by Editor-in-Chief Dan Roberts. So let's not lollygag getting into this. Let me get you those crypto prices. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Bitcoin is sitting at $48,571.84, up just a smidge from this time yesterday. Ethereum's at number two at $1,560, up about 1.2% from yesterday. Cardano's down 2% at $1.25, but in the number three spot, followed closely by Binance at number four at $2.4530, down around 3.4%. Tether's, of course, number five, and number six is Polkadot at $37.13, up 5.5%. Total market cap were at $1.5 trillion, pretty much even at $1.5 trillion, with a BTC dominance of 60.5%. And like I said, I don't want to beat around the bush. I don't want to lollygag. I don't want to drag my heels. I want to listen to the interview with Mark Cuban. I'll see you after the show. All right, Mark Cuban, welcome to Decrypt. Thanks for having me, Dan. Thanks for joining. Uh, Let's start with kind of a few years back. Clearly, at some point, you bought an amount of Bitcoin. You just revealed that recently. Now, at the time, maybe you didn't make a lot of noise about it. Now, clearly, I feel like more recently, you are out there, you are talking about crypto, you are all in. And I guess I'd ask you, what has changed? What has changed sure. for you? What has changed about the space? Nothing really. Um, you know, the big battle I've always had with people who are into Bitcoin in particular was whether or not it was a currency. And remember, for the longest time, it was, yeah, it's going to be a currency. We just need lightning. Then we'll be able to do a bunch of transactions. You know, everybody's going to realize that. And it'll be, you know, it'll take over fiat. And I was like, there's just no way. There's just too many things working against it. You know, the block size is everything, right? From a technological perspective and lightning was everything. Then you got the battles in 2017, I think it was. And you had the forks and all that kind of stuff. There, there was just too much stuff going on for it to really get to that point. And I really don't think that ever changes. And I always said Bitcoin was worth what somebody will pay for it. And so, you know, as long as there's people coming in, it's okay. <laughs> you know, as long as the demand exceeds the supply, it's okay. And I, I've always compared it to gold and, and always said that it was better than gold. You know, when people say gold has intrinsic value, that's ridiculous. The idea that, you know, assigning we like gold colored jewelry or gold original jewelry and that's intrinsic value is ridiculous and so i think for a lot of reasons then we fast forward to the last this summer really and you start to see the value of smart contracts and DeFi in particular 
and governance. And now you realize whether it's Bitcoin or Ethereum, even maybe some other choices, when somebody owns that, they become their own personal banker. And when somebody has that, and you can start creating other applications with smart contracts, and you get a lot of leverage, and there's, that's really changed the game for me, and that's what got me excited. So there's a few things there. I mean, let's talk more about the idea of, is it a currency? Is it a commodity? Is it digital gold? And you know, the original white paper did say an electronic peer-to-peer -peer cash system. And mm -hmm. so in some ways, the skeptics who say, well, it's not used as cash, they're not wrong that originally it was called cash, but of course, right. technologies evolve, use cases evolve, and you're right. Right now, all the big believers, they say, it's a store of value, it's digital gold. I guess I'd ask you though, is that as exciting and interesting if it's not something in addition, if it's just an asset that you're buying to hold, and we can talk separately about right. you know, the Ethereum applications, but just for Bitcoin, if it's just digital gold, well, it, does that really match up with the original promise? Well, you know, I'm not, I didn't read the white paper. I couldn't tell you all the details of the original promise and I don't really care. Um, what I know is what I know right now. And in, you know, the existing environment, you could use it as collateral. And when you can use it as collateral and you can swap it and where, depending on where you swap it, you can do it efficiently and, and effectively, then your options ex expand. And so because it's, um, it's got a liquid marketplace. You can assign a value to it, not just as a store of value, but to act as collateral for other transactions. And what's happening is with DeFi, you know, doing financial transactions, the friction is far less than it is in traditional um, centralized analog um, finance. Let's talk about some of the narratives because it's such a narrative driven space. I mean, as we're discussing, it has sort of evolved, it's digital gold. Now there are a number of other use cases that are exciting, especially we'll get into the NFTs. But it's funny, I mean, I remember a few years back, it was blockchain, not Bitcoin. Banks coming out saying, well, we love blockchain. Oh, don't ask us about Bitcoin, we don't love crypto, but we want to use blockchain. What did you make of all that? And now what is agree with it. in terms of the, I the agree reaction? With it. Yeah, in my first company, I wrote a lot of applications for decentralized or distributed databases. You know, and we would do, deal with replication, we would deal with all kinds of stuff, right? And so I always saw the, the value in blockchain, and that was always the same argument I had. The challenge was with blockchain, you had to make a complete commitment and, and write around it and then, in terms of a Bitcoin environment. And then when Ethereum came out with smart contracts, it all got simplified dramatically so that, um, so that blockchain took on a complete, completely different perspective and set of applications. And now there's another set of issues right, with Ethereum in terms of transactions per second. And so it, it's actually, they followed the same curve. And the, the difference is Bitcoin is kind of stuck with a, a store of value, even though there is a blockchain there. That's more just for confirming transactions that take place you know, with, with Bitcoin, um, trans, buying and selling. Where now with Ethereum, with smart contracts, you know, I'm teaching myself solidity right now. It's not hard. If you've done any programming languages, it's pretty straightforward and easy. And so now you can start to see, and I started to see, the simpler, the simplicity of creating smart contracts that are then stored in full on the blockchain, which are then immutable, right? And now you can start seeing, okay, what other things can happen with this? And now that we're starting to see level two, three, or four enhancements, there's, there's a lot of narratives out there that are bullshit, right? But at the same time, fundamentally, there's a lot, lot of strong components to it. When you talk about the different levels, now, of course, we're talking about tech levels, but of course, there's also different levels of understanding. And, you know, you also exist, you know, you're a tech guy, but you're in this mainstream business world, you know, you're on Shark Tank and, 
You Friday nights on ABC, it. by the way. <laughs> well, there you go. And, and I guess I'd ask, you know, surely you have friends right now or peers who are asking you about this stuff and their understanding level is at a zero. They've probably right. heard about Bitcoin. Maybe now they've also heard about Ethereum at most. How do you even begin to tell them, well, well, here's what I love about it or here's what you need to understand because there are people, don't. it's just too crazy. I don't. It's like the early days of the internet. Like back in 95 when we were starting AudioNet, the streaming industry. I mean, literally, we called it internet broadcasting. Streaming wasn't even the term at that point. And when you tried to explain it to people, they'd be like, dude, I'll just turn on my radio or I'll turn on my TV. What the hell do I need the internet for? And then back then, you had to have a 56K modem. You had to download a TCP IP client. You had to download a media player. And then you had to find it on the website. And it had these little batch files and so there was a lot of complexity there that made it difficult. But people found a way back then, too. I mean, we had millions of users, you know, from 95 to 2000. And, and so people found a way because the application allowed them to do things they otherwise, could, otherwise couldn't do. If you were sitting in your office with a PC on your desk, you didn't have a radio, you didn't have a TV, right? The only way to get media was through broadcast.com and streaming. Now, fast forward, you know, 25, 26 years, and it's analogous for crypto. If you want to write yourself a loan, right, in 30 seconds or less, you're not going to a bank, but you'll find a way with crypto. If you want to take advantage of hopefully appreciation, not always appreciation, and you know keep it locked up and and ha make some financial transactions, again, DeFi. You know, if you want to really get into it and be super geeky about it and learn about yield farming and pooling and staking. You can make more than you would in, you know, your your savings account. So there there are driving applications, and that's what I talk about. It's the driving applications that are better solutions. You know, what really got me excited about NFTs was the smart contracts that'll let you um, earn royalties on resales. That changed the way things were done. I couldn't take my old MP3 collection that I had, you know, from whenever and resell it the way things are now. And the artists and the publishers couldn't make any money from it. Same with art, same with digital, same for same with you know business stuff. If I give a speech that I think is valuable, you know, or if I'm at a conference and something is discussed, now I can tokenize it and sell it. I may not get any money for it, but at least I have that option. And so you're creating value in ways that you never could create before. So when you say, Mark, there's some people, they ask about it and you don't even try to explain it. No. The question, you know, at what point might they start to understand? Or, of course, for a while, people would say, well, you don't understand how email works. You don't understand how the Internet works. You don't know SMTTP, HTTPS. Everyone just knows it works. And so right. people might get to a point where blockchain is involved in their lives. They're using it, but they don't need to understand it. That's all interesting, and yet there's also still quite a lot of friction. You know, you talk about something like CryptoKitties, and you say, well, you just have to buy some ETH, then put it in, you know, transfer it to your well, MetaMask wallet. Okay, so look at CryptoKitties, right? Now they're on Flow, right? And now they're doing Top Shots. And what did Top Shots do that was great? You don't need a wallet. There is no cryptocurrency involved, right? You just put your credit card in there and buy your moments like you buy anything else. Right. They created a marketplace, which is no different than eBay or, you know, Amazon, you know, but let's just say it emulates eBay, which is just an open marketplace for anything only because it's digital. It's in near real time and you just pay a transaction fee and you don't have all the hassles of receiving or sending like you do with you buy or sell a mouse, you know. And so it's a simplification and a reduction of the friction and things we otherwise already do. And that's going to bring people to the platform. And I think that's your point, right? That when you simplify it, 
you're going to bring a lot of neophytes to the platform that are going to get excited about it. And that's what we're seeing with Top Shots. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why Coinbase has done so well, for example, because even regular people, Joe Main Street, who they hear about Bitcoin and maybe they've decided I'm willing to buy a little bit of crypto, but it can't be three, four steps, you know, right. and, and that's the big promise is reducing that friction. You better make it really easy for them to get into this space. Well, exactly right. Especially with the know your customer laws and everything, you've got to be able to deal with smaller investors or speculators or traders, whatever, um, and just pop in a credit card. <clears throat> and Coinbase has done a great job. And on top of that, Coinbase will give you free crypto if you do the rewards program with, you know, I'm one of those people who have done it. You know, give me give me some of this or give me some of that. I'll take my three minutes and answer the questions and watch the videos. Sure. I mean, they've been really, really smart in simplification and marketing. And of course, you know, it's not just Coinbase. Now, no surprise, some of those uh, non-pure play crypto companies, consumer facing names, Robinhood, PayPal, Square, they've added Bitcoin buying because, you know, they yep. want to grab from that funnel. And I guess I, I'd zoom out and say, you know, we've been talking about the applications of this tech. But if we look at the price surge and the recent Bitcoin bull run, it seems to me it's very much part of the sort of retail investor revolution. You know, it's not unrelated to the pandemic. This stuff all right. accelerated, uh, you know, in 2020. And the GameStop stuff was related. I mean, yes, it was GameStop, but it's Reddit fueled, it's social media fueled. And I'd ask your take on that. I mean, how was crypto involved with that? How was all that stuff good for sure. crypto adoption as well? It's the whole concept of decentralization and fighting the man, right? It's like, it's all about governance. WSB investors, GameStop, um, AMC, etc. They want to govern themselves. They don't want to be dictated to by anybody else. And so, you know, Wall Street bets is its own form of governance and voting. You know, they're all staking in their own little way. Sometimes you may stake great information, you know, a research report you wrote and you let it ride and, and see what kind of returns you can get. But when you have all these validators effectively who have staked, if, you know, they bought GME or AMC, that's their staking, right? And, they're, and maybe I'm getting all the terminology wrong because I'm just learning some of it. But they're, they're, they're staking it and then they're val becoming validators, right? And that validation is them buying the, the, um, the stock and you know just repeating it as much as possible and you know getting diamond hands and hodling you know which however you want to call it and you know that's that's decentralization and that's the whole underpinning of blockchain and crypto you know let's take control of our own destiny and it's not a hundred percent right because some applications are centralized and some players pretend they're decentralized and they're not and yada yada and that goes back to your narratives a lot of people create bs narratives but um in reality when it all comes down to it it is analogous simply because the it's decentralized and it's giving power to validators and that's what this that's what the market needed and don't forget tendies mark the tendies yeah yes yep the tendies yeah <laughs> you mentioned you mentioned wall street bets Let's talk a little bit about the big figures, and you're one of them now, who have been tweeting about crypto. What do you make of Elon Musk's tweets? I mean, all of the Dogecoin stuff, and now as we do this interview, just today it appears maybe he might get into some you know, legal trouble again for those tweets. Yeah, I didn't see, I don't know about the legal side of it, but that's just Elon, right? You know, he likes, he likes to raise hell and he's got the platform to do it. You know, if he, if he had 10 followers, it wouldn't matter. But, you know, or for me for that matter either. But, you know, when, when you have that platform and people know that you influence stocks. But let me just say this. I used to go on CNBC all the time. Right. And I used to you know, tell my friends, here's the stock that I have that I'm going to talk about. Just tell me, you know, record it so I can see what happens to the price of the stock when I talk about it. And it happens all the time. And to this day, people will go on CNBC and they'll just pimp a stock out. Right. 
And then you talk about narratives. What is buy and hold? Buy and hold is a narrative to help stock prices go up. What's price or, you know, what's a cyclical stock versus a consumer stock? Those are just narratives in order to get people to do something, right? Well, Apple used to be a cyclical stock. And so the PE was under 50, was under the, the S&P, you know, PE of 16. It was only 12. So we converted it to a, to a growth stock because its growth rate is above this. And now you can pay 18 PE. The stock is still the same. The company is still the same. Right. Nothing has changed. And so the business of creating narratives is as old as the stock market. Um, but it's, you know, it's just different now because it's new. And in some ways, that's true about Bitcoin. I mean, Bitcoin hasn't changed. It's just that some more big, serious Wall Street names have now decided, I believe in it. I'm going to invest some small portion of my portfolio in it. Yeah, I mean, it's algorithmic scarcity. Right. And once you start buying into that, and the fact, you know, and I think most of the big treasuries, you know, their biggest fear is getting hacked. And, you know, and that's legit, right? As you get into quantum, quantum computing, but you can also make the argument that they're not going to go after Bitcoin first because it's probably awful hard given the circumstances. They'll go after some big bank because that's where the, the money is. Um, but yeah, so, you know, Bitcoin has been around a long time, but I think like anything else, the internet, you know, we talk about it like 1995 was the start of the internet. It wasn't. It started, you know, years, decades before that, you know, in, in, in um, DARPA and BBN, Will Bear Back and Newman. And so there, there was a history there. So all technologies go through this confidence curve and trust curve and Bitcoin and, and crypto is no different. And all of them, just like the early days of the, the commercial and the consumer Internet, you know, there's going to be a lot of BS, a lot of fluff, a lot of nonsense a lot of narratives, and there are going to be some great companies that evolve and some that die. You More know, related to, that, related to that, Mark, just uh, recently Coinbase dropped its S1 filing before it's going to go public via direct listing. And it's always interesting in those S1s to look at the risk factors. Right. Some of it is boilerplate legal language, but then there's always some kind of interesting wrinkles. And I noticed in Coinbase is saying that you know, negative social media discussion around certain coins could hurt us, negative perceptions in media coverage of crypto. And I, I guess I'd ask you, you know, even as so many new use cases come around and more serious people have bought in, you still have a lot of people out there who they have some sort of vague association of Bitcoin with cybercrime. They go, oh, Bitcoin's used by criminals or it's used for hacks. Uh, what do you think it would take for that to change and go away? Just time. So cash is used by criminals. <laughs> you know, it's just there used to be bearer bonds, right? You know, that all the old movies, right? They'd go in to steal the bearer bonds because they were as good as cash. Um, and, and so who cares, right? Here's what it comes down to. Either the applications are going to be there to make life better and to make business more productive, efficient, and profitable, or they're not. And that is everything right there. And so if it's easier to transmit value from point A to point B using Bitcoin or using Ethereum or using somebody else. All right, that's what we're going to do because the way SWIFT is set up right now for, for you know, international transfers is ridiculous. And you know, like Elon Musk, like Jeff Bezos says, your margin is my opportunity. It's the same here. You know, the banking's margin, the bank's margin is Bitcoin and crypto's opportunity, particularly for finance. And it's going to it's going to impact it. You know, I, I keep on telling people, and they don't fully understand it with DeFi, that when you own crypto, you become your own personal banker. You you get to borrow against your your Bitcoin or your Ethereum 
faster, quicker, better than any way you've ever been able to borrow before. I have a decent amount of money in the bank, right? And I have to go to my banker and sign forms. Now it's easier now with DocuSign and get their permission to borrow against my money at an, on an over collateralized basis. So when I wanted a mortgage for my, um, well, let's just put aside a mortgage. Just, excuse me, needed. You can do mortgage on the blockchain now on Ethereum yeah, blockchain. Well, well, exactly right. And so the whole point being, when you have uh, qualified digital tradable assets, because they can be traded in real time, they're very easy to collateralize. And when you when they're easy to collateralize and price, then it's really easy to lend against. And so now you're seeing a battle for liquidity and there's a lot of BS in there now with tokens and this and that as people try to overqualify yields and you know overpay to get liquidity. But that'll work itself out because that's not a real business long term. You know, you're not going to have you're not going to have 10 zillion different tokens created over the next 20 years that all pay in their own token to try to get more liquidity, right? It just there's no there's nothing valued there. It's just in your early days of anything um, it's just easy to try to do that to, to, right. to, to make some money. Um, but longer term, friction-free banking, I had a conversation with somebody today, and I truly think that you're going to see retail stores and malls, where, and you're going to see influencers on college campuses. And what they're going to do is they're going to go around and sign people up and get them um, crypto wallets and walk them through the whole know your customer, take a, um, a picture of your driver's license, get you all set up, and oh, by the way, here's $5 in Ethereum or here's $5 in Bitcoin because it's cheaper than other marketing costs. Now you're set up, here's what you can do. And oh, by the way, once you get up to $1,000 in whatever crypto you want to have or whatever tokens, if it's one of the liquid names, then see, talk to that guy over there because you can borrow it in real time um, for Bitcoin at less than 1% and you can turn it into USDC or Tether or whatever and here's a credit card that you can use against it or a debit card better, right? And now all of a sudden you can spend money. So if you need to spend, if, you know, you're, you're getting, you've got $1,000 worth of crypto, your washing machine broke, you're getting paid in two weeks, you need to borrow $200 to fix it. You, you know, you can put it on your credit card, but it's, you know, if you can't pay it off in X number of days, right, you're, you're going to get hit with 19%. Here's 1% flat. And if you pay it off in 30 days, you know, it's cost you 1% and that's it. And there's no, and there's no fees, right? Your, your credit card fees and your debit card fees and all that shit, right? And there's no overdrafts and yeah, you can get called in, but that's just like, if you don't pay your credit card deal in 30 days, your interest rates are 19 to 29%. So you get hit just as bad there. So just the efficiency of it, you know, so I really think you're going to see retail presence. You're going to see college kids get paid to sign people up and get them hooked in. And that's going to help escalate it to the next level. Now, I'm so glad you mentioned paying in crypto because Tesla got all the attention for buying 1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin, but it also disclosed that eventually it wants to accept crypto as payment. PayPal is going to let people pay in crypto. Now, the irony there is that for now, most people don't want to spend their crypto, right? I mean, right, as the prices are rising, yeah. you yeah. wouldn't want to spend it. You want to hold on to it. Yeah, I mean, look, and you're not, you still have to convert it to fiat, right? And so as long as you have to convert it to fiat, you're not really spending in crypto. You're not really spending in crypto anyway. Right. Right. Like the Mavs, we started, we took our first Bitcoin five, six years ago. Only nobody spent anything. And the only reason I did it was to prove a point that no one was going to buy anything. And then we did it again a couple of years ago and we sold $314 worth at whatever Bitcoin was at the time. 
again, somebody was just trying to prove a point that, that they would buy something. I was trying to prove a point that not many people would. <laughs> and it is what it is. But again, it's a store value that's liquid, easily priceable. And when you have anything like that, particularly that's digital, because it can trade in real time almost, right, in milliseconds, then it's really easy to value and let you have a, a debit card against that, which allows you to go out there. And it's almost like if you go to a foreign country and you spend, put it on your American Express, they just hit you for whatever the currency exchange rate is that they have. It's no different. Mm. You mentioned when the Mavs started accepting it, and of course, you know, you got the team, you got your hands in so many different businesses. Does this stuff, the crypto and the DeFi world, excite you right now more than anything else you're involved with? Never excites me more than Mavs. That's, that's a given, but um, it, it's exciting because like the early days of the internet, it's disruptive. And it went from, okay, blockchain, and you build all your layers on top of it, to uh, you know, Bitcoin blockchain you build, and to Ethereum with smart contracts, which are really easy to do, to, okay, now let's tokenize, and people started making um, readily available the tokenization via the smart contracts. And that all of a sudden is what really enabled almost all of this, right? The simplification of smart contracts and the almost ubiquity within the industry of smart contracts. That was the, the change, and that's what gets me excited. Because now, all these companies, all these SaaS companies, all these different companies, I can see just disrupting them, disrupting the fuck out of them, right? I mean, it's just like, imagine an accounting system that you have trained accountants that you pay as accountants, and there's, you know, 30, 40 validators around the world that are validating, and when I say pay, you pay them in, in tokens or whatever, right? Um, they're, they're just validators, or they invest money and become validators, you know? Um, and now they look at a general ledger entry and they all have to have consensus on the general ledger entry and they don't know each other. There'd be no Enrons, right? You wouldn't mm -hmm. have the level of fraud that you have now. Imagine in the healthcare system that um, you, have a, um, you have a claim with the insurance company and they want to deny it because the insurance company, quote unquote, validated the claims adjusters, they want to deny it when you know they're just messing with you, right? Now imagine if you had a bunch of validators who staked and said, you know what, we we're going to get paid for validating and I'm going to get my return, but I'll be a validator for these types of insurance claims because I'm qualified. Now all of a sudden, if they all independently have to verify that block, that transaction, you've changed the game and you go to the hospital and you know you're going to be judged fairly as opposed to the insurance company looking at you know, that, that drug that you need and saying no. Yep. And of course, now people are talking about another use case of blockchain for proof of COVID vaccination. So yeah, of course, it's the same type of thing. It's the same type yeah. of thing. You know, we're, we're talking about it. So for ticket, ticketing for blockchain, right? So it completely changes the resale market. And if you would tie it to an individual that has, let's just say, their social security number, and it's been validated by, you know, multiple sources along, you know, the healthcare chain, whatever it may be, then boom, you're good. You're good to go. And, and right in the blockchain, depending on what you use, you can just put a little picture in there. And it, it, there's your picture, and it's immutable, and it's there forever. Yeah, feel feel free to break some news here, Mark, on uh, what the Mavs are about to do with blockchain. You no, know, we're trying to figure it all out, right? The blockchain yeah. side is easy. It's just like going all 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 the way up for the layers and making right. sure the application works. It's safe. People are confident in it, and there's a marketplace to exchange it because that allows us to get um, to keep on making money on every resale. Something we don't do now. Clearly what excites you most or more right now are these applications and the NFTs and a lot of that is Ethereum based, Ethereum built. 
Now, I've heard you say elsewhere that you still own more Bitcoin, but it sounds like you are in the camp of the Ethereum blockchain will be the one that's really the end all be all, or at least the evolution of Bitcoin. You know, you talk to people who feel different ways and it really depends on where their vested interest is. Um, you know, I've, I've read through and um, the rollups, which, you know, that's basically just batch processing and that, that can work um, at, at some level. Um, and, and it could work easily, actually, just depending on the scale. It's harder to get really, really big. Um, and then you have sharding that has its pluses and minuses. And then you have the multiple um, GPUs that you can bond together. And that allows you the greatest opportunity to grow fast and grow and scale that, you know, we've seen that with AWS and Azure and all the rest and AI. That's exactly what they're trying to do to scale um, processing. And so there's there are ways to solve the problem. It's just a, it's just a race, right? There's the race to 2.0 if and when that happens. There's the race of the higher layers to see if and where that works and if the applications start testing them and it works. And then there's the competitors that say, you know, why are you wasting your time? My, you know, my blockchain does 40,000 TPS. Why are you even, and I charge you one one hundredth of a penny for every transaction. Why are you even dealing with that? And so, you know, that's that's what makes a market. That's what makes competition, and, and that's the nature of, of business. And so, you know, may the best, the best solution win. Let's talk specifically about NFTs, non-fungible tokens. You know, we've, we've thrown the term around. That is, what, that is what has caught your attention most recently, and you're out there sharing these collectibles. Now, of course, there are different examples. It's happening now in music. It's happening with sports and sports highlights. And... You know, I had asked you at the beginning of the interview how you explain this stuff writ large to newbies. Boy, NFTs are even further down the rabbit hole. I mean, you try to tell someone, well, you know, it's a digital collectible, and in some cases it's a video of a highlight, and they might say, well, I can see a sports highlight on Twitter. Yeah, so, you know, look, I got my favorite basketball card from when I was a kid, John Brisker, right? Now, if I wanted to sell this, I'd have to get it valued, right? And that's very subjective. Then I'd have to wrap it up into, you know, some sort of, you know, some way to, to deal with it, to send it. And then better than condition. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. To verify the condition, I have to grade it. Right. Then I have to package it, you know, and I probably for the good stuff, I already have it packaged. And then I have to tra then I have to ship it. Then it has to be received. Then it has to be validated. Then I get my money and you hope everybody is happy along the way. And not everybody always is yet. The, and it's not like I look at my John Brisker card. You know, and I know nobody else knows who John Brisker is, but me. He, he played. He played in the NBA, and the reason I love this guy, he played for a Pittsburgh Condors team, and what I love about him, he quit basketball to become a mercenary in Africa, and that's what he was until he was killed, as a mercenary. Um, wow. So that's a cool, cool as hell story. That's all I know of it, but I always thought it was cool when I was a kid. And, and so you have, but the real beauty of owning a John Brisker card is just the joy of ownership. I don't take it out and look at it all the time. The picture. Right. John Brisker, again, you can find that online somewhere. You know, it, there's nothing unique and it's not like the picture is artwork and there's nothing special about the stats and the commentary in the back. All that's available online. It's it's the, the ownership that comes with it. And by physically having it, that's your only proof of ownership. Now, fast forward to Top Shots and NFTs, you get all the benefits of the joy of ownership without any of the hassles. Supposedly, right? Now, you can argue, right, with, with, with Dapper and with um, Top Shots, you can't get your money out, you know, you can't, you don't have access to everything, 
yada, 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 yada. So there's, you know, it's all new and it's all just growing. So we'll cut them some slack. But, you know, generically with an NFT, all the same joy of ownership, all the, the value creation or loss for that matter, the, the friction-free trading and transacting, the ability to pay royalties to the original creator after every sale, which is enormous and really enables more creativity to come to the marketplace. Whoever designed good old John Brisker and took his picture is not getting any value whatsoever. Right. And the next baseball card, it's the same thing. And you know, you, every resale or tickets for that matter, whatever the NFT is, you're not, you're not getting any ongoing value. And that, that's a significant game changer. And so once you get over that, that perception that I have to physically be able to touch it and realize that's more hassle, but the joy of ownership is really what matters, then the game changes dramatically for everybody. And you're starting to see that with Top Shots and you're starting to see that with art. You're seeing it with CryptoPunks. You're seeing it with Beeble. <clears throat> you're seeing it with Bitcoin Origin. You're seeing it on Mintable. You're seeing it on Rarible. You're seeing it on OpenSea. You're seeing it on all these platforms because you know you still own it and you get to track the you get to track the value every minute of every day as opposed to sitting there with my son and putting the card into maybe one or two programs or on eBay to see what it's worth now one funny aspect of this or wrinkle and we've talked a little bit about all the different contradictions there sometimes are with the narratives a lot of people mark what they love about this whole space they say privacy and more privacy and yet you know when you share something like your rareable address I mean, we can then click through and, and click to see the wallet address on Etherscan. Now, right. someone like you, you probably might be masking in somewhere. You have multiple wallets, but you I got you a lot of wallets. Yeah, I got a lot of wallets. <laughs> right. So you, you shared something on Rarible. I clicked. I can see the wallet address on Etherscan, and I can see well, this particular one has thirty-eight thousand dollars worth of assets in it, and right. I can see all the coins. And you know, you've got multiple wallets. Someone like Lindsay Lohan. I don't know how much you know she's doing in this space. I don't know if some <laughs> of these celebrities realize how visible the holdings yeah. are. It's not as private as people think. And that's the whole point of, of the blockchain, right? That is 100% public because it's all verifiable. And once that address is associated with an individual or a company, whatever it is, but of course I could just take it all out and put it in another wallet and it all be empty, right? So um, it just depends on you know why or what. And for me, 99% of what I'm doing right now is just learning. Right, learning how pricing mechanisms work, work working out, learning how the, the the technology works, learning how to mint, learning how to post, learning all this stuff is, is part of a learning curve, um, because it does need to get simpler, you know, and, and it does need to be easier so that you know, celeb or not, um, anybody can do it. Yeah, you talk about learning, and I was intending to ask you whether you are hearing from more of your players about this stuff, because we're talking Just about top shot. The athletes are suddenly really interested, right? Yeah, they're starting to because they see there's value there. And where there's value, they know they can get paid. And if they know they get paid, they're interested. Just like anybody, right? You know, if, if Dan Roberts all of a sudden saw, you know, a video of you um, typing on your keyboard, you know, and it showed up on Top Shots and it was selling for $600 or $6,000, you're like, I got to get paid, right? And yeah. so that's what, that's what we're seeing. Yeah, it's great for art and it's great for artists. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, Mark, I think a fun way to wrap this up would be a little bit of a lightning round. Fire now, away. It, doesn't, it doesn't have to be just one word, but your rapid reaction thoughts on some of these things in the crypto world, okay? Uh-huh. Okay. DeFi. Bananas. Elon Musk. Bananas. <laughs> Tether. Bananas. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry to walk with you like that. You know, just I get so much shit about all that. Okay, so let's start again. I'll give you a real. Okay, you sure? Yeah. 
Okay, Tether. Tether, questions? China coin. Um, that's first, I don't know, I don't know. Don't know enough. Libra. Libra, against it. Binance. Um, depends which part. Mining and the environment. Challenge for Bitcoin and Ethereum. Dogecoin. Doggy coin, but better than a lottery ticket. Wow. Janet Yellen in Bitcoin. Um, still has a lot to learn. Hmm. Okay. Good lightning round. And bananas. <laughs> bananas. Go bananas. It's just ever since I said that, every time I do something on Twitter, somebody posts banana this or banana that. And it just cracks me up. <laughs> Why is that the most common uh, troll? Well, so one day I did an interview and it was one of those rapid fire type things, right? And so um, I was talking about blockchain versus Bitcoin and the fact that neither gold or Bitcoin had immediate utility, right? Because you, you can't hold it. You can't do anything with it, right? It's just a store of value. And so I said, in terms of utility, I'd rather have a banana. At least I can eat a banana. And ever since then, bam, I just got crushed. And I love it, right? I, I mess with people over it um, and have had fun with it. But yeah, it's always bananas. Mark, my favorite Calvin and Hobbes strip. They're walking in the woods and, and Hobbes says, if you could wish for anything right now, what would it be? And Calvin says, a million dollars. And Hobbes says, I would just wish for a peanut butter jelly sandwich and some milk. And Calvin, for three boxes, goes, that's so stupid. That's so stupid. What? Peanut butter jelly sandwich. I want a million dollars. And then the final panel is they're in the house and Hobbes is eating the sandwich and says, well, I got my wish. <laughs> good, you right? Know, you don't, you don't get it if you don't ask. All right, really good stuff. And uh, Mark Cuban, we hope to have you back on Decrypt soon. Keep in touch. Absolutely. And uh, we'll be tracking your adventures in crypto. Uh, I, I appreciate it. Great interview. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Aaron. Don't forget to go to Apple Podcasts, like, subscribe, share, and leave us a comment. It helps us stay visible, and it gives me good feedback of how we're doing. So if we're doing well, put it there. Have people see. Have people go, oh, this is a good show. I want to click. I want to listen. It really helps us out. And if you want to email me, Matthew Aaron at decrypt.co. I'll see you tomorrow. And until then, happy hodling. <laughs>